Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. We are on the May 15th episode. We're covering numbers, Psalms, and we're into Isaiah. But I feel like we're just busting right through it. It feels like we're going through it really, really fast. We are busting through. And Isaiah is one of those books that this is the way I study talking right now. I feel like I can't do it justice just reading it. The prophets always kind of intimidate me a little bit. And they're books that are hard for me to just sit down and read without any extra study surrounding them. Yep. I was thinking the same thing as I was reading it today. I was like, man, I really feel like in order to talk about it, I should know more than I do. Yeah. Cause there's so much context that's important. Like where mm-hmm. Israel is in the history and like what the prophecies are referring to and what's mm-hmm. been fulfilled and what hasn't. And yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the benefit of that will be that that is the point, right? We're supposed to be able to sit down with scripture and you can still get stuff out of it, even if you don't right. know all the things. And I feel like one of the things that I see in Isaiah without thinking through all the things is God's character. I feel like that's kind of what I've been focusing on as I'm thinking through it, as I read it. Yes. The repetitive like, what, theme how of does this help God me know God more? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. God of armies mm-hmm. and just the justice of God and, and how much he hates sin, really, really hates sin. Mm-hmm. And yet still has this plan to be merciful inside mm-hmm. of all of that. And his faithfulness to his people. Um, Right. And how he's faithful, even in the midst of his hatred for their sin. Yeah. That's the biggest relief I get of all of his character traits, (laughs) his faithfulness (laughs) in the midst of our sin. Yeah. Faithfulness and mercy. Yeah. We were starting in number 17. Is that right? Number 17. Yep. I'm trying to find specifically, because I'm looking at what I wrote in the side of my Bible, after the staff sprout, they put the staff there in front of the tent. It says, the Lord told Moses, put Aaron's staff back in front of the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels so that you may put an end to their complaints before me or else they will die. So the purpose of that is to remind them so that they stop complaining. And then the Israelites say, anyone who comes near the Lord's tabernacle will die, which I don't think God said that. Maybe I'm missing it, but it made me, what it made me think of is back in the garden when Adam and Eve say like, we're not allowed to eat it or touch it. As people, we just take things a step further sometimes to make it sound worse than it is. Or, you know, that's what it made me think of. Which is exactly what Moses does in a couple chapters later, where he takes it a step further. Oh, yes, exactly. God tells Moses to speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. And And Moses is mad. And he hits the rock and he Mm -hmm. says, I will show you or something like he basically, he full on takes credit for it, which is so out of his character. Yes. Out of Moses' character. He says, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Yes. Which that actually, you pointing that out is really helpful to me because when I read that, 
I think, man, that's kind of harsh, God, you know, like just for hitting the rock instead of speaking to right. Like Moses has been following you and dealing with these people all this time. And it makes sense that he's frustrated with them. Like he's frustrated with their constantly complaining and not believing. So I totally get how Moses is like, and just responds that way. But you're right. It was in numbers 20. The Lord tells him to speak to the rock. And then after that, Moses says to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? So you're right. He kind of takes the credit. And then later it says that because you didn't trust me, God said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you don't get to go into the land. Yeah. And mine says you didn't treat me with holy reverence in front of the people of Israel which that's exactly what we do when we take credit for the things that God does through us. We are not treating him with holy reverence. We're making it a man thing instead of a Holy Spirit thing, which is no good. I just wanted to take a quick break and let you know if you're enjoying our reading plan, but you're looking to dive deeper into the text using the Bible as your source, you'll love our dive studies. Our first study is the book of Galatians. We'll dive deep into one chapter per week. You'll have the option to participate in live online video discussions with Annika and I and the rest of the Bible study group, or simply follow along in the discussion in our Facebook groups. Our next studies begin May 12th, so be sure to sign up at divecollective.org before we start. And hopefully, we'll see you soon. So numbers, you know that. It's it's really funny to me how many Bible stories I know from numbers, but coming into numbers, it's almost like I had no idea what to expect. What it was about. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I mean, I've, I've clearly read it. I guess I thought numbers was just a whole book full of counting people. Like the first couple chapters. Yeah. Like the first, you expect that to be the whole book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But numbers is so rich, full of narrative. There's just Mm -hmm. one great story after the next. So that story where Moses striking the rock rather than speaking to the rock is a really famous Old Testament story. And then right after that is I never knew where the snake, (laughs) this is like, this is embarrassing. This is the stuff that I shouldn't be sharing on a podcast when I'm leading a (laughs) No, exactly what you're going to say. When we get to that part where like Moses lifts up the snake and if you look upon mm-hmm. the snake that's on the cross that um, you'll be healed, you know, which is a total foreshadowing of Christ. Right. John, I'm like, yeah. Where is that passage? I, I couldn't have told you last week where that passage oh, yeah. was. Here yeah. it is. Talk well, to numbers. Those, after I feel like those whole, that whole first Pentateuch, those first few books, they all get jumbled up in my head. I, well, yes. Yeah, I feel Exodus. like all of X, right. All of the wanderings happens in Exodus, but it's not, it's like spread through. Yeah. Yes. And in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is, so Exodus is where they're coming out of the desert, but numbers is the lead up to, and when they get lot, they have to stay in the desert for 40 years. Right. Okay. So So I wrote that. Where did I? Cause I I thought that they were in a desert for a total of 40 years, but they actually had been wandering. They had been on their way to the promised land and then Mm -hmm. they had 40 years. Right. So last week I wrote that in numbers 14 is where we may have talked about this last week. I don't think we did. It's where God says in numbers 14, that's when he says, okay, so now you're going to wander for 40 years and the people of this certain age aren't going to get to go into the promised land. Right. And so that was, I was like, oh, I guess in my mind, they've been wandering. This has been part of their 40 year wandering. Yes, I had and so that ex- my So my question was, how long have they already been in the wilderness? Like how long was it from when they left Exodus until when God said, okay, now you've got 40 more years. Same, same. I didn't go back and dig into it. 
Yeah. And yeah. all the stories that I've seen and all the facts that I think I understand. And then I get to a passage and I read it more closely and I'm like, huh, all the right. time that I've read this, I didn't realize that the 40 years started after they started grumbling in the desert. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was kind of cool. And so then it was fun to see yeah. the snake story in chapter 21. And I alluded to it, but it may be worth it to just spend a little more time thinking about you know, so much of what happens in Exodus and in numbers and in these passages is we talk, we talk about it all the time. It's a foreshadowing of the gospel. Right. Um, and did you go and look at that section in John? No. So I had a note from the lab because I, all of this early part of the Old Testament, I have, this is my second time through it in not a lot of time. So I have right. notes in there from when I read it just a couple months ago. And the passage in John is that section right where John 3.16 is. Everyone knows that John 3.16 passage about God loved the world and he gave his own begotten son, but it's totally tied into that. So it says, John 3, starting at verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God mm. loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Okay. So you have mentioned often the passive nature of our Salvation faith, but especially work. of our salvation, right? And so mm -hmm. like in numbers, all they had to do was look at that snake and they were mm -hmm. good. All they had to do, look and live. That was it. It's so similar salvation. It's not, I mean, when we're look looking to the cross and our faith is there, that's all it is. Look and live. When John uses that passage in John, it was like an immediate connection for the Jews. That was a, I'm sure a story that was well known to them. So to make that parallel yes. is pretty cool. So if you take that passage and you go backwards with it to the garden, I was struck in that passage where it says, so God sent poisonous snakes among the people. They bit them and many in Israel died. God provided the punishment and then he provided the salvation. And I think about mm -hmm. that sounds rough. Mm -hmm. It makes me, oh my gosh. Like I have such a train of thought here because I'm thinking It happens about, in Isaiah too. This is the same. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. So if you go back to the garden, God punished them for their sin and he sent them out of the garden. And then he provides a salvation of Christ in the end, right? So the punishment happens back in the garden until Christ comes. Then he becomes the snake at the end. Like he's the snake that's lifted on the cross. He's not the snake. Right. The saving snake, not the snake that bites. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one on the cross that when we look right. upon him, we're saved from our sins. But I love, I will never forget when I read through Genesis and I realized that God's punishment of death was an act of mercy that we wouldn't live forever. Like he sent us yeah. out of the garden so that we wouldn't eat from the tree of life after having received sin in the fallen, our fallen nature into us. And so once we had the curse of the fall, then he was like, for your protection, because I do not want you to have to live like this forever. To live, right. Yeah. To, I don't want you to eat from the tree of life and live forever. You can't come back in here and he sends them out of the garden. So from the very beginning, God's mercy and plan for salvation. And we, we are eternal, whether we like it or not, that death yes. is still eternal. Our punishment. Yes. God sent, yes. A, sent Adam and Eve out of the garden to avoid living forever so that they wouldn't be tempted to eat that tree of life. But 
we are eternal beings, like it or not. And our eternity is going to either be with God or separated Uh, from God. There's no, this is what it is. True. So um, yes, there was an aspect of that, like you were saying, but even in death, there's eternity. Right. And he provides a way for us to be with him forever. A passive, a way that we don't have to earn and we don't have to do. Yeah. Can I skip to Isaiah for a second? Because sure. It, well, okay. we can't skip Balaam altogether, but we can jump ahead to Isaiah for a moment. Okay, we can go. We can jump. We can come back. But the reason I'm jumping ahead to Isaiah is because the same thing happens when we talked about Moses not recognizing that it was God that was working through him, and then he was disciplined for that. In Isaiah, this is another thing that sounds really harsh. God is judging Israel. And he says he's going to use Assyria to do it. So this is not chapters nine and ten. He's judging Israel, and Assyria is his tool. So it's Assyria comes and like conquers and obliterates. And but then partway through chapter 10, right after that, in starting verse 12, it says, But when the Lord finishes all his work against Mount Zion in Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for his arrogant acts and the proud look in his eyes. For he said, I've done this by my own strength and wisdom, for I'm clever. I abolished the borders of nations and plundered their treasures like a mighty warrior. I subjugated the inhabitants. My hand has reached out as if into a nest to seize the wealth. Anyway, he goes on. So that's, so God uses Assyria as his tool to judge his people who are for their sin. And then Assyria being completely clueless and not realizing that like they didn't do it. God did it. God judges them for their arrogance for not recognizing that, which is the same Check out Isaiah 14, verse 32. Yes. I, yep. I have that part underlined. What does too. one mm-hmm. say to outsiders who ask questions? Tell them God has established Zion. Those in need and in trouble find refuge in her. Tell them God has established Zion. Don't you dare take credit right. for the work that I'm doing. So good. So good. So back to Balaam. Yeah, I feel like we just have to talk about Balaam, even if it's just for a moment. I mean, I have everything underlined and circled, and I just really enjoyed. I started it, and then I couldn't stop until it was done. Like I just read through all those chapters all at mm-hmm. once. Um, and I've read it before, but I think the thing that stood out to me, if there was one thing that I would want to say, I love that God pours out His Spirit on whoever He wants to accomplish his will. Like we don't get to say who God's going to use. It was this pagan, it's a pagan prophet, right? Right. So that is, that's another thing that I wanted to dig deep into because it doesn't really ever tell us who Balaam is specifically, except that unless I missed something, except that from the beginning, Balaam says that he's going to give Balak the answer that the Lord gives him. So it feels like that's what I, I always thought of Balaam as a false prophet, but a Jewish false prophet. I don't, I don't know. I just think of him as a bad guy, like someone who yeah, didn't necessarily believe in God. Because, outsider. Yeah, me too. Yes. Because this outsider, this outside people was, you're right. Like, I feel like there's a possibility that I'm missing something. So I could totally be wrong. So whatever, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I feel like yeah. this was an outside nation calling in somebody who they believe to have power to curse what would have been the whole Jewish nation. So he's not going to call a Jewish guy to curse the Jews. That's just not. Okay. So that, 
Yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, because that's why I'm like, who is this? Or Balaam. If Balak is going to someone to ask them to curse the Israelites, he's not going to go to someone who he thinks is on their side. That's a no-brainer. But from the very beginning, he says, 22, verse 6, Balak says, please come and put a curse on these people for me because they're more powerful. I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. So Balak knew that whatever Balaam said was going to happen. And then verse eight, it says, he said to them, spend the night here and I will give you the answer the Lord tells me. That's Balaam's response. So that sounds faithful. Yes, I I couldn't figure that out. And so the, and the whole time Balaam keeps saying, I can't tell you anything other than what the Lord tells me to tell you. But then like with the whole donkey thing, I always, that's the story that I always knew. And so it's God getting his attention because he's not paying attention. But it seems like he was a believer in God from the get-go. So anyway, I don't know, but it made me want to dig. I didn't dig, but it made me want to. Anyway, so that was, if assuming, I was just definitely assuming that this is a pagan prophet who was searching out a pagan God for answers. Mm-hmm. which is very possible because that God does work circumstances. Right. That's what we see. He's cultural like that. Culturally relevant, our God, <laughs> but, he goes, but he pours out his spirit. What does it say specifically? Where is that? He filled him with the spirit on. to prophesy. So it's got to be later. Yeah. Oh, here we go. 24. So this is after his oracles. Bam yeah. has these, it's right before his third oracle at the beginning of 24. Verse two, Balaam yeah. looked up and saw Israel and the spirit of God came on him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't call him the same. The strong God shows him. He calls him the strong God and the high God. He doesn't call him. He just doesn't seem to speak the way that the Israelites speak Who does? of God. Balaam. And see, that's one Maybe. thing I noticed is that in my Bible, you know, when it uses the word Jehovah, it capitalizes the word Lord. And it is that very beginning when he first says, spend the night here, I'll give you the answer. The Lord tells me that's why it stuck out to me because that's how it is. It's God. Jehovah is what he's saying. Gotcha. This translation translates it different. Yeah. Which is interesting also. Yeah. So then the other thing, all interesting. The only other thing that I have that I'm going to, I want to say about Balaam is that I, for whatever reason, I just like it when I make connections between different things that I'm studying or reading. And so in reference to Galatians, something that stuck out to me was in chapter 22, verse 15, Balak sent another group of nobles, higher ranking and more distinguished. They came to Balaam and said, Balak, son of Zippor, please don't refuse to come to me. It made me think of um, the higher ranking and more distinguished and how we Mm -hmm. think that we can, we're going to get more we're going to get what we want to hear by from, impressing by yeah. pressing. Yeah. By impressing or by Paul went to Peter to get his blessing. Maybe not even necessarily, not necessarily because he needed it, but to know that what he was saying was percent, true. Percent, yeah. But because he needed um, his more impressive credentials to mm. be behind what For he was people, saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To impress the people. Anyway, that was just a kind of a loose connection that came as I was reading it. Do you have anything else from that one? For those of you that don't know, God actually gives speech to a donkey. <laughs> like uh, a donkey actually spoke to Balaam after he's beaten him. He's beaten him three times because he won't go through this angel that Balaam can't see. And 
donkey asks, like, why, why am I not your trusty donkey on whom you've written for years right up until now? Have I ever done anything like this before? Have I? Yeah. <laughs> and the it angel makes me basically wonder... says the same thing. The angel speaks up for the donkey. It's like, why are you feeding yes. your donkey? Yes. It's so ridiculous. It's Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it makes ridiculous. me think like how dumb and pigheaded we can be as people to completely miss that God was like, okay, you are not getting it. I'm going to have to make the donkey talk because nothing else is working. Yes. Makes me think of Paul on the road to Damascus. Okay. You're yeah. not getting it. I'm going to have to literally have to show you. myself to yeah. you. <laughs> yep. Yes. We are very dumb and pigheaded. Um, from Psalms, I would say that God really met me in Psalms this week but nothing necessarily to share except that as a theme over and over again, you've always given me breathing room, a place to get away from it all. He's a solid rock under my feet, breathing room for my soul, an impregnable castle in passages later. And in Psalm 63, I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at night, I spend the hours in grateful reflection because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life and you hold me steady as a post. So that theme of just wide open spaces still is, and I'm craving it as you are. <laughs> it's interesting to me how it sounds like the way that the message is translating several Reading times. Them? breathing room mm -hmm. is like the whole so is a refuge. Like it sounds like oh. the word that's used. It sounds like the passages you're quoting. I think it's a refuge, which is interesting because those feel like, and I might be wrong. Like that might not be what he's referring to, but that feels like different. When I think of refuge, I think of like a small a safe closed space. In safe yes. space. Yeah. Rather than like wide open, wide spaces. open spaces. Yeah. So that's interesting. That is interesting. Well, what's interesting, the other thing that's interesting is that the other theme, there's the two themes, there's the breathing room idea, and then there's also the hiding place. Yeah. So I'm, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. That, the, and there's different, refuge. there's different places where he talks about hiding in him. And so, you know, I think two weeks ago I talked about mm -hmm. how he's drawing me out to be um, completely naked before him, like bring it all out and just be real with all my sins and all my everything and be loved by him. I feel like what he's teaching me now, which is ironic since I just wrote that generosity post. I just um, read that this morning. <laughs> I feel like he's challenging now, now to learn boundaries. What are the spaces that are only his and what are the spaces to share? So I'm, I need to come out and be completely open and naked before him, but I also need to learn to hide in him because People aren't trustworthy. People can't be trusted. He knows their because hearts. Because he I is your refuge. Hearts. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, that's just been kind of an interesting turn of events. I didn't expect him yeah. to bring me here. So fast. Yeah. <laughs> because so there, it's one of those things that it's another one of those things I think in we find in scripture where it's two opposite feeling things that work together. Like it's both, yes. it's not like for you, it's not one or the other. Like it's not exactly. all or nothing. I'm either naked and exposed or he's my refuge. It's not, yes. it's both of those things. Yes. And, and even like with your, that whole boundaries thing, it's both of those things. It's living in generosity and giving your soul to people. And yet remembering that people are not your refuge. Like right. God is where you're bearing your soul. Yeah. It's yes. such a all jumbled up together. Yep. It's a dichotomy, like God, yeah. so much of life is a dichotomy that we're figuring mm -hmm. out. That is about, that's why we walk in the spirit, right? Because 
when we're not walking in because the spirit, we, we're, we're doing one extreme or the other. Right. That's all I have from yeah. Psalms. I don't feel the need to add to that. Okay. And then from Isaiah, I, we kind of opened with it, but God uses these, he uses these outside forces and he uses these people um, and he uses our world circumstances to, point to out do things to draw maybe? us back to. Yeah. One of the things I love that from Isaiah, because there's so much judgment, I think, in this week's passages from Isaiah, and yet mixed in with all that judgment are the promises of Jesus coming, like the ones that are so well known, like a child's going to be born to us. So in nine, and then where was the other one? Chapter 11, that which, whoa, that's a big can of worms that I just opened. But I have a note next to this section in 11 from Micah, from you, Bethlehem, small among Judah, a ruler work will come ancient and strong. The aspect of God even though these chapters from Isaiah were so heavy on Israel's rebellion and then their judgment sprinkled in there, God's like, but don't worry, Jesus is coming. You know, like yes, it's in there. Yes. The promises of what's to come. So prophecies, prophecies are so interesting because they apply in the moment to what's happening to when they're writing it. They apply to a specific event that's going to happen in the future that's to come. And then they apply to what's happening right now. So they, am I making sense? It's almost like three things. Yeah. It happens. It's, it's for right now where they are. The author is writing it for those people for mm-hmm. events to come in their future. He's writing it for us right now and what we're doing and what we're experiencing, which is way far in the future and almost irrelevant to Isaiah at the time. And then it's being written for what's to come for all of his people for eternity for Mm-hmm. You know, especially that passage in 11, the a living knowledge of God, where it says the wolf will romp with the lamb, the leopard will sleep with the kid, the calf and the lion will eat from the same trough and a little child will tend to them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture. That's obviously not, that's not happening right now, but that is mm-hmm. for the future. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for those who live in Christ, there's a certain amount of, there's the peace that we have among yep you know, among the people amount because we, because he lives in us now. It's like, this mm-hmm. just, it's like, too big, too hard too like, um, the ways that it applies are vast and just, he feels so uncontainable when you read the prophet. Yeah. I feel like he's just Ooh, that's a good way to say it. God. Yeah. I don't know. I just love it. And so, yes, every, what you're saying, all the, all of the, like, this is God's character and sprinkled in the midst of it is and this is God's character, the hope mm-hmm. that's to come, the promises. But no, not so with Jacob. God will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he'll choose Israel. He'll establish them in their own country. Outsiders will be attracted and throw their lot in with Jacob. Just so good. Another one, chapter 14, God of angel armies speaks exactly as I planned. It will happen. Following my blueprints, it will take shape. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on and read the rest of the passage, but that, that's our God. That's our God. Yeah. The Lord of armies himself has planned it. Who can stand in its way? Yeah. And it'll be good. He only writes good stories. Yeah. If you keep going right from that passage that you just read about him, the beginning of 24, his yoke will be taken from them and his burden will be removed from their shoulders. This is the plan prepared for the whole earth. And this is the hand stretched out against the nations. The Lord of armies himself has planned it. And then at the very Which makes, end of that chapter is what I quoted earlier. What does right. one say to outsiders who ask questions? Tell them God has established Zion. Those in need and in trouble find refuge in her. He's yeah. 
He's planned it all. Yeah. That's that, that verse I read makes me think of when Jesus says, come to me and yes. take my yoke. Cause my yoke is easy. easy and my burden is light. God is promising the burden's going to be taken from their shoulders. And that's what Jesus did. My version says, I will ban his taking and making of slaves and lift the weight of oppression from all shoulders. This is the plan planned for the whole earth. I will lift the weight of oppression from all shoulders. That's really nice in light of the Ahmad Arbery. Mm. I wept. I wept at one point. I was talking to Jeff and I was just, tears were streaming down my face. And it's like, I feel so helpless. I feel so helpless. There's not words I can speak. There's not a thing I can do. There's not, you know, and we talked and we got to a place. It was great. Jeff was actually super encouraging. These are the things that we can do. We can do this. Yeah. But just that, like, there's going to come a day. uh, There's going to come a day where God's going to make it all right. And he's our hope. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.